you know, science isn't just about the pursuit of science. It can be about, and it should be even about commercialization. It should be about bringing the benefits of those breakthroughs about those developments to the world and to society. So that was the first time for me, senior year of high school, when I started thinking, oh, how will this research that I'm doing be applied to the world one day? How, how will it eventually benefit people? What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Start Down. I'm your host, Mike Ficarra, and you're probably asking yourself, what is The Start Down? Well, we all know the startup is a great idea or a business that maybe you're just getting going, but I want to talk about what happens when you get to work, and that's what The Start Down is all about. We're going to bring great guests here for you on the show, people who have had massive success, people who are trying to build businesses, and I'm even going to share with you some of my own experiences. And I always say, this is a little bit like a buffet. Take what you need and leave the rest. So without further ado, let's head to the show. Exciting episode of the Start Down. I appreciate you tuning in as we move here deep into Q4 because um, it's it's only the first month, but every day feels like a month uh, in 2020. But it's super exciting. Uh, really have enjoyed all the guests we've had this year, the different perspectives, and we're moving in. I have the first guest here on a series we're going to start talking about with the Conrad Challenge, and, and we're going to learn a little bit about it on this episode. And I am really excited uh, to have someone with me who is a, a winner from 10 years ago of the challenge, participated in it as an alumni, and he's going to share a lot of great stories. But Anku, before I, we dive into this, I say no one introduces themselves better than you do. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Sure. You know, thanks for having me, Mike. My name is Anku, everyone. Nice to, <laughs> nice to be here. And just to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I, as Mike said, I participated in the Conrad Challenge back in 2010. So it's been it's been a little while now, uh, but it's been you know really the Conrad Challenge launched me on my entrepreneurial journey. Since then, I've you know I, I like to call myself a recovering material scientist because uh, it turns out that that wasn't the path for me. <laughs> uh, but since then, you know, since starting a company, I've uh, spent some time in Silicon Valley, worked in startups, and am now a venture capitalist. So. You know, it's been an interesting journey and I'm looking forward to, you know, discussing it with you, Mike. So, and, and obviously I think that path, right, that path sounds exciting. <laughs> I think especially in today's, uh, you know, economy, we'll, we'll even talk a little bit about a Shark Tank connection here in a little bit, but in today's entrepreneurial society, we know everyone's, you know, to get to that point of venture capitalist or being a scientist. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the Conrad Challenge and your exposure to, you know, tell everybody a little bit about what it is and why you're involved with it. Yeah, so you know the Conrad Challenge is a high school. It's a high school entrepreneurship competition. The chairman of the foundation and the found the person who actually got it all started. Her name is Nancy Conrad, and she realized that there was something broken about education. She's been an educator all her life, and you know this uh, road style of learning that we learn in school is is good for certain things. But if you want to teach entrepreneurship, the best way to learn it is to do it. So the Conrad Challenge is really designed to take students and give them an opportunity to identify their own problems and, and come up with their own solutions and then package it into a business that actually works. This is a six to, you know, six to eight month program. It's something where you, know, you learn everything from problem identification to building a team, to recruitment, to uh, designing a business model, making prototypes. It really encompasses the entire entrepreneurial journey in this short, you know, short period in just one school year. I love that. And I know, you know, you were speaking too about 
the idea of entrepreneurship and science, right? And this is really a springboard into that for you. The two were never really connected to you before this challenge. You're kind of merging together, correct? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that, uh, <laughs> especially for those of us that come from a science background and, you know, for me, I was on track, I was doing chemistry research and was really on track to go eventually think about getting a PhD, becoming a professor. That was always the, the path that I'd envisioned for myself as someone coming from science. Yeah. But the Conrad Challenge is the first time that I really felt uh, exposed to this idea that, you know, science isn't just about the pursuit of science. It can be about, and it should be even about commercialization. It should be about bringing the benefits of those breakthroughs about those developments to the world and to society. So that was the first time for me, senior year of high school, when I started thinking, oh, how will this research that I'm doing be applied to the world one day? How, how will it eventually benefit people? And now, how do I apply a framework to take, you know, package this innovation and deliver it to society? I think that was really the first time that I started thinking about scientific innovation from a commercialization lens. And really, you know, it's helped to inform the rest of my career ever since. So, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned it, it really added a third kind of prong to it, right? There was that idea of science, entrepreneurship, and then, and then I think social responsibility, if you want to call it, or solving a problem in society. And we know that's a lot of what the Conrad Challenge focuses on, right, is problem solving. What was it that you did in the Conrad Challenge? What did your team, you know, what problem were you guys looking to solve? And what was it that, that really, because it was such a springboard, I'm so excited to hear about, what is it that you guys actually did? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's funny, when we look back at it now, there's, uh, I think, in the early days of the competition, if we, if we tried to participate today, that same team, same project, we wouldn't get nearly as far. And it's because the caliber of the competition, the caliber of the students has gone up tremendously since we participated. And uh, what we were actually working on is trying to solve at least partially the energy problem. You know, we were specifically developing a piezoelectric wave attenuator, which <laughs> sounds a little bit crazy, but basically, you know, piezoelectric crystals are these types of materials that when you impart a stress upon them, they generate a voltage. So you can change that into electricity. So we came up with this idea that if you have these floating balls with piezoelectric crystals in them, put them on a, you know, a, uh, like a seashore where there's waves and you get up and down motion all the time, you can generate electricity. So we were really thinking about deploying modular devices and hardware for coastal homeowners so that maybe directly before a storm, directly after a storm, if in case of blackouts, you have this easily accessible source of power uh, that's, you know, you don't have to worry about if the, if the grid goes down or if there are blackouts like in Haiti, this is something that you can just store in your shed and then roll it out and you have access to the clean power. And I mean, that, that sounds amazing to me. <laughs> and you're saying that even in the competition now that where it's at today, that would not, Qualify. What what is the what is the innovation that this program's taken that that that's now the average idea? <laughs> that's pretty darn impressive to me. <laughs> to give you some idea, I mean, like some of the teams last year, we had a team that was working on sound suppression for fires. Uh-huh. You know, obviously California has really bad wildfire seasons that are getting continuously worse due to climate change, and they, this team decided to think outside the box and said, you know, we've been looking at chemicals and water and other you know, novel ways of fighting fires, what about sound waves? So that's an ex- idea, for, that's an example of something that's really out of the box that the students have just been getting more and more innovative. Another one was a company that was doing space exosuits for astronauts to be able, you know, right now because of the microgravity environments there and astronauts spend a lot of their time 
uh, exercising so they can maintain their muscle mass and musculature. This is something where just doing normal activities, you would be able to save that time and spend it on doing experiments and other things while still maintaining your musculature. So those are just two ideas. And, you know, just to give you an idea, now those companies now, that that's exosuit company, they 3D printed a working prototype that they showcased on stage. This, uh, the other, uh, the other team for sound suppression, they had, they did some really, really cool 3D modeling and things. Whereas, you know, when we, when we did the competition in 2010, we had a beautiful model that we had written up in, in Microsoft Paint, <laughs> but it was nowhere near the caliber of, you know, 3D models and videos that people are producing today. Yeah, and I, and I think it goes to show, you know, we hear, um, I don't know about you and I, right, but 2010, even though it was 10 years ago, it doesn't seem like that long ago, right? Like, you know. It's not that. You know, so it, it doesn't seem like it was that far away, but it's amazing how much technology and, and everything's developed and, and gone through that. But I think the fundamentals and the spirit of the challenge are still present, right? The, those ideas of change have, have been around, and I think they're going to be around for a while. What is it that when you were participating in the competition, though, really is something that stuck with you? What's the biggest like lesson you learned out of that, that, you know, obviously it's changed your career path a lot, but what was the one thing that really stuck with you that, that changed the way you do things even today? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when it, when it comes to one thing that I took away, really, it, it was it was less one particular fact or item or thing. It was more a new perspective, right? Taking out this one new perspective through which I was looking at everything I did. Uh, during college, you know, right after the competition when I went off to college, now I was thinking about not just joining you know, the research clubs, I was joining entrepreneurship clubs. And when I was doing research on silver nanoparticles and energy harvesting, I was thinking about what are the future applications of this? So that bringing that lens into my thinking is what enabled me to eventually start a company in the senior year of college. It's what enabled me to go join startups in the, in the you know, later on. It, it really helped to, over time, uh, inspire a framework for which I evaluate even investments today. When I'm thinking about what startups to invest in, one of the things that I think about is, you know, if I was in their shoes, what are things, what are the ways that I would go to market? What are the ways that I would develop this technology? And all of that really came about through that initial I would say a pretty formative experience uh, during the challenge. So in, in looking at that, you stayed involved with the challenge too, as well as kind of like a mentor and, and you're obviously involved in, in doing things like this, speaking about it. Why stay involved though? It seems like you got a lot going on. Why, why connect it to this thing? What is, what is it that made you kind of stick with it? Yeah, I think that uh, it's, it's something that when you have a chance to go to a summit again, it, it kind of answers its own, it, it, it is its own reward. You know, having that access, just seeing the imagination these kids bring to the table with their own ideas, um, it, it, makes me, it makes me a better entrepreneur. It makes me a better investor because I think uh, you, over time, people lose a bit of that childlike imagination. And, you know, these are, these are actually very well-formed business ideas that the students are coming out with. So for me, it, it helps me train my imagination a little bit, but also, you know, in my own entrepreneurial journey, I had plenty of mentors, people that I reached out to, people that helped me get to where I am and are continuing to help me you know, grow in my career. And for me, it, it is a way to give back. You know, it's, uh, it's not just, it isn't just about giving back because I, I do get a ton from it. It's every single year, one of, the, one of my favorite weeks of the year is when we have a chance to put, put together this Conrad Summit and just feel inspired for a week. I, I, don't, I don't think I, I don't remember the last time I didn't smile <laughs> for like less than it's, you just you just grin the entire week because it's just that fun 
That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and, and I think those experiences are so hard to find, right? Um, and, and the consistency of them. Uh, and Nancy's obviously amazing. We've had her on the podcast here and, and she did an episode. And like I said, it's one of my favorite episodes because just her, even the way she, her energy is just so, you know, it's just so amazing and, and, and just being around her. And I know with, with COVID though, that's changed things a little bit for you guys. And I know uh, across the country, right? Events, um, I think even what you do with Venture, we'll talk about that a little bit, but even investing in a company doing things now over Zoom numbers, why they're great, you know, it, it doesn't have the same effect. How has COVID affected the competition? I know last year you guys had a pivot and adjust and, and possibly this year as well. Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting. Earlier this year, you know, originally our, the, we were planning to have the summit in, in April in person at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And obviously uh, that, that kind of changed last minute in March. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got, I got to give a big shout out to the Conrad Challenge team at the Griffin Group that really you know, did an about face and said, okay, how do we take this really huge production that we planned and take it all online, but still, you know, maintain and retain the magic of the competition. So we were able, we were lucky that uh, because a lot of people were having this problem, there have been some new technologies. Like there's a, a conference tool that we used called Hopin that helped at least give, you know, some sense of normalcy. And we had this spontaneity because there were there was a, you know, a, a stage where any main, main topics, like when Nancy gave her a keynote or any other keynotes, people, like all the students could go there and l- listen at the stage. We had different, uh, breakout rooms where you could have multiple competitions or multiple presentations going on at the same time. There was even a, this kind of like trade show or expo booth where you, everyone, every team had their own booth and judges could stop by, the other participants could stop by and sponsors could stop by. So there was this really, there, you know, we tried to do everything we could to maintain that sense of being in a physical environment, but yeah, obviously having to do it online. And I think that at least from the feedback we got from the students, if we did, we were able to retain and kind of uh, build that magic on the online platform. So that's something that we've learned some lessons from doing it last time around. And I think we're, we're better prepared to do it even better this year. That's amazing. And I think, you know, obviously uh, the students, I think have adapted so well to this. I always say it's the adults who probably have the bigger problems with it. The kids, you know, embrace the technology. I know I've even seen my kids with their classes and, and getting online and going through that. Um, you know, and as we move into this, you know, obviously the world's changed, right? It's never going to be the same again. And, and we know all the cliches that go along with that. But what do you think the future of the competition looks like with that being said, in this sort of, you know, new world, if you will, post-COVID and, and the challenges it's presenting? And since you guys are so problem solving and solving challenges, what, what things do you think we're going to see with the future of this competition? from, from the yeah. yeah, you know, I think that um, the, the nice thing about doing things virtually and remote it does democratize access. You know, we were we were finding that there were teams in the past that may not have had the resources to be able to participate. And we were always, you know, we were trying to figure out the best ways to include them. Um, this is something that does make it easier. You know, at least in the earlier stages, I think it's important to uh, keep as many teams as part of the process as possible. And then that makes it easier for them to participate. If we do end up, you know, we are able to have an in-person summit this year, or if we are able to do in-person summits in the future, I think, having more teams participate earlier on in the rounds, you ju- it, it just encourages better quality overall and better, uh, better engagement. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's something that we, is a, a benefit that's come out of this. That being said, I think, you know, <laughs> I, the students have been really, really innovative. So for, for example, uh, last year during the judge Q&A for each of the teams, there were some really interesting ideas for how to hand off questions. You know, 
rather than people trying to speak over and say, hey, I'll take this question. We had, there were two that really, really I loved. There was a team that, you know, there was one person that would assign questions to everyone else, but it was entirely nonverbal. They would, you know, tap their glasses once or tap their nose. And each of those signals was a signal for one person on the team to take the question. So that was, that was a really ingenious way of finding a baseball signal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and another example, there was a, there was a team that had a, you know, an entirely separate message thread where they were just you know, giving cues for, okay, this one's yours, this one's mine, this one's yours. So, you know, I think that I, I've been really impressed to see how the students have evolved and adapted <laughs> to the new format. We had a team where the entire back wall behind the participants was just a, made, took up, you know, taken up by a giant drone. And we had teams that had like matching t-shirts. You know, I think that if you give, add these additional constraints, students will inevitably figure out and imagine a way to uh, take advantage of or just do something with it. So I think like that's at least within the competition framework, we're, we're honestly <laughs> leading a lot on the students to uh, make, the, make the most out of the experience. But outside of that, you know, as we take everything virtual this year, we're doing a ton of new webinars and, and community building in the months leading up to the competition so that it's not just about this, oh, you've been working hard on your own in your own silos until the very end, which is when you finally meet everyone. We want to encourage this system of, you know, competitive collaboration, mm -hmm. where even though you're competing against other teams, you can learn from them, you can build with them. And I think that's something that, you know, we're going to be able to, we're going to have a chance to do over the next seven, 10, 15 webinars and meetings that we host before April. You know, and obviously some of the Zoom techniques would be great for, I know a few adults that need that. <laughs> we can explore that as some Zoom norms in some of the meetings I've been, but I, and I think that's a great thing, right? Is that like they, the kids see this as opportunity, not barriers. And, and I love that with students. And one of the things I miss about teaching, um, and obviously too, we talked about Nancy a little bit earlier, and, and you know, you and I talked uh, off air about how she's played a pivotal role in, in kind of your, your journey and, you know, what you've done. And obviously her starting this competition, doing this, you know, share with me a Nancy story. Tell me, tell me something about well, what is it that makes Nancy so unique, you know? Oh, that's a good Nancy story. Hmm. Okay, so I, I'll give you two short ones. So Nancy, when I, back in 2010, when we, when we participated in the competition, this was at, when it was at NASA Ames Center. And that year, one of our, <laughs> the, two, so the two guests that we had come that year, uh, one was a gentleman named uh, Patrick Martin, I believe, who was the White House magician, which first of all, I did not know that that was a thing, but that was his role and that was his title. And he was <laughs> really, really good at it. Uh, and then the second person was Pharrell, who, you know, of the fame from the song Happy. At the time, he was still part of his old group, NERD, and, and he wasn't quite as big, but it was really exciting because imagine Pharrell getting up on stage and giving a talk about the future of science and students in, in America. Like that's, it was, it was honestly very inspiring. And I think it, it, it's, it's credit to Nancy that she's the type of person that can, I think he was actually just local for another event and Nancy just, was like, oh, we should, we should have him. So she convinced him to come. She just has this magnetism around her that uh, like her, just her charisma is something that if she wants someone to do something, wants someone to get involved, she really is able to do that. And uh, so anyway, getting back to the original story, the, <laughs> when Patrick was looking for a subject to do some magic tricks on, of course he picked Nancy. And Nancy's reactions to this were just so genuine. I think 
you know, when you pull a coin out of someone's ear, it's always pretty impressive. But when the White House magician pulls a <laughs> coin out of Nancy Conrad's ear, that's a reaction that you remember for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all. Awesome. And I get you put White House in front of anything, and it's exciting, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So that that's pretty neat. And, and I think, you know, and like you said, I think she has this genuine energy and, and this excitement about her. And, you know, I know you've now, you mentioned kind of on the venture capital side of things and you're involved in investing in businesses and startups. And I'm sure those qualities of someone like Nancy or, or, or the people you're seeing, you know, what does that look like right now? Because I know we all hear venture capitalists and investing in startups and it sounds very, very sexy, right? Very exciting. Silicon Valley, you know, and, and all that stuff. It sounds, you know, neat, but what, what is it that you guys are doing and what, what, what are kind of some of the trends you're seeing right now in the industry? You know, that's, that's a good question. I think the industry is, it, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> yes. Year after year, I think the model for startups, the model for investing is changing. Um, you know, a little bit on the later stage side, but there, this year there have been entirely new methods for taking late stage private companies and going public, which I think overall, that's a great thing because it makes it easier for early stage companies to say, oh, that could be me in just two or three years. So that's something that's happening in the later stage markets that has Know, trickle down effects. Um, but in the startup world, even, I think what we're, what we're looking at is it used to be that if you were a startup that had a, a rock star team that were formerly of you know, the big tech companies, Google, the Microsofts, that was something that people saw in your pitch deck, those logos were like, oh, wow, we should totally invest in this company. And I think there's this, this change in the way we see merit or badging in the startup markets, even more so than in years past, where now if you're a Teal fellow or a student that is working on a business, you're evaluated on the merits of your business, not on the merits of maybe, you know, which logos are on your resume. Right. And that's something that I, I think is really valuable because uh, for example, there, there are, there's a, uh, there's a startup I'm thinking of scale AI that is working on, um, you know, doing data, data labeling for large data sets. The CEO was I think 19 or 20 years old when we, when he started the company. Two years later, three years later, it was a billion dollar company. He'd raised from well-known tier one in, uh, venture capital firms. And now he's hiring, you know, former CMOs and CTOs of major, major tech companies. And that's, that's what goes to show. I think that that's a trend that we're seeing is as we do this debadging of the industry, the basically merit wins out, you know, merit, the cream rises to the top. And that's something where there are these artificial gatekeepers in the past. And that I think we're starting to see it's still there and we have a long ways to go, but those existing structures are starting to erode. So then, and, and you know, majority of our audience is entrepreneurs or people, you know, that are, that are established or thinking about getting an entrepreneurship. And I think everybody says like, well, you know, investment seems like a great idea, right? Like, but you know, at what stage is the idea stage? There's the revenue producing, want to make a million dollars, want to make $3 million, want to make $10 million. You know, at what stage should a business and, and does it, you know, maybe it varies by industry, but like, how do you know as an entrepreneur it's time to take on investment or, or to seek investment to, to grow? I mean, it, is it, because sometimes if you're making money, do you need investment? Like, is that, is that always the best route? You know, how do you know as an entrepreneur, hey, I, I should be seeking investment to grow and scale my business? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And honestly, oh, we could talk about this for hours, but <laughs> the, the way, <laughs> the way I always frame this discussion is with an entrepreneur is, you know, think about the growth profile of your company and align the types of investors that you want or need to that growth profile. Venture capital does not make sense for the vast majority of businesses. You know, venture capital specifically, the way the numbers work out, the way the math works out, venture capital is looking to deploy capital 
and make investments into certain types of companies that see crazy 100%, 200%, 300% growth year after year after year. Most companies do not fit that profile. And that's nothing, that's not a bad thing. It just means that venture capital may not be the right type of investor for those companies. There are tons of other types of startups and businesses where maybe angel investors might be better suited, or maybe you know, taking loans from, from banks, taking venture debt, taking doing project financing, for example. I think there, it's really important. Um, what, there are so many companies that I talk to that, are, that will look to raise venture capital because that's what they know to do. That's what everyone you know, thinks they do. But it, you know, spending a little bit of time at the beginning and understanding what type of business you have and what type of investors are most likely to invest in that business is really important. And sometimes you don't even need to raise outside money at all, right? There are companies, I, I, there's one I'm thinking of, um, so MailChimp, which a lot of people use for sending a newsletter. MailChimp was a bootstrap business all the way to $450 million in revenue totally bootstrapped. They did not take a single dollar of outside capital. And that, I think that's a success story that shows you don't have to take outside investment to build a really successful business. Um, another example, you know, there are other companies that, uh, oh, Ginkgo Bioworks, which is a, a late stage synthetic biology company. What they did was something a little bit different. They raised their first five, 10, I think maybe even 20 plus million dollars in government grants. You know, this is non-dilutive funding that you can take in and just focus on building your company. And then later, when they felt like they had something, that's when they went to go look for venture capital. So it's just, it's about aligning not only the, the growth profile of your company, but also the current stage with the types of investors and the types of capital that you want to bring in. And, and then, you know, I think it's, it's such great advice, right? And, and it's always looking at that. I know, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Everyone sees Shark Tank and thinks you're going to go in and pitch an idea. They're going to invest. And obviously with Shark Tank, I think there's a lot of uh, PR and marketing that comes just from being on the show. Uh, you know, you know, and things like that. And I, you have a little bit of a Shark Tank connection. You weren't on Shark Tank, but you did have one of the sharks invest in in a, in a company you're working with. You, you mind telling that story real quick? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. You know, um, I think we, Mark Cuban was an investor in my first startup, and it, the way it came about is really kind of crazy. Uh, back in my senior year, and when I was at NC State, you know, I was studying material science engineering. Was doing this at the time. It was just a senior design project. You know, we weren't, we weren't sure what was going to happen to it, but very quickly we started getting a little bit of traction and we got, we just got very uh, wrapped up in this idea and this problem that we were trying to solve. So what we were trying to do is uh, solve this problem that was very personal to us, or at least address it, which is the problem of drug facilitated sexual assault. We had had friends, my co-founders and I had, had friends that had gone through this and really it was a problem that was personal to us. So when we were thinking about how to deploy or develop a solution, uh, we came up with this idea of developing nail polish that detects date rape drugs. And you know, that was a pretty compelling concept. We ended up winning some pitching competitions. Uh, going back to the question about capital, you know, our first 10 or $15,000 in capital for that company came from winning competitions, pitch competitions, um, business plan competitions. So we had 20 or $30,000 in the bank. We were working on our research and development. And then we spent a few months developing a relationship with our first angel investor that turned into our first check. Now, great. You know, we had our seed round coming together. We're like, okay, we have, this is, this is working out. Uh, and that's when things kind of took a little bit of a turn for the, for the crazy. <laughs> uh, when we first closed our round, the, a journalist wrote an article about us and it blew up. You know, this was this, we weren't ready for it. We weren't ready for the press. We, we didn't, we didn't have a product yet. We had a concept, we had a plan 
but we didn't have much to show people. Um, then she decided to write another article. And of course, this journalist happened to be personal friends with Mark Cuban. So she calls him up and says, hey, Mark, what are your thoughts on this company I just wrote about? He was like, oh, that's a great idea. I would totally invest in this company. And we, we saw this come out. We're like, oh, Mark Cuban knows who we are. That's very exciting. <laughs> How do we get connected to Mark? And we got really lucky there. You know, this is a relationship. Uh, this is a relationship game. And one of our angel investors had previously invested with Mark on a deal. So we pitched him over the phone and he decided he, he decided he wanted to invest in the company. So <laughs> really, it was it was a, a crazy time from just in a few weeks to go from senior design class to we have a project, to we have a company, to, oh, we're raising a seed round, to, oh my gosh, we have Mark Cuban as an investor. It was, it, it was a pretty crazy time. And, and I think, you know, the great thing I love about that story is it happens that quick. You know, I think everybody says, well, how do you know? You just got to keep trying until, until that one thing. And sometimes it happens quick. Sometimes you're trying until, until it goes. And I think, you know, the, the stories you've told are just great examples of that. And I think it's, you know, I think to, to younger entrepreneurs who are just starting out or even, you know, I, I always say uh, when I was in high school, uh, which was a little more than 10 years ago, it was <laughs> it was not entrepreneurship wasn't spoken about as much. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as a buzzword as it is. And then as I started going through my career, it became more and more. And I think around that, you know, that that 2005 time, you started to hear it much more regularly. And now it's a community, right? It's a community of people. So I think, you know, I, I love the idea of the Conrad Challenge and things like that and people getting involved because I think it is important to give kids this opportunity to see that. You don't have to just be an entrepreneur, just be a scientist, you can be both, right? You don't have to just, you know, it, it lets me, we can meld all these different things, all these different ideas and, and solve problems. So, so you know, uh, just congratulate you guys on all the great work you're doing. Um, you know, as we wrap up here, if people want to learn more about the Conrad Challenge, where can they go to find out more information about it? You can check out, search Conrad Challenge on Google and you'll be able to go to the Conrad Challenge website. And uh, we, there's still some time before the first round applications close. The deadline is coming up on November 6th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So <laughs> you still have plenty of time. You know, for any of the students and teams that are listening that wanna uh, take a look and participate, I highly encourage it. Really, it's, it was a transformative experience for me and it kicked off this, this sometimes roller coaster of emotions and <laughs> uh, really you know, helped my career get to where it is. So highly encourage anyone listening to participate and check us out online. That's awesome. And Anku, if people want to learn a little more about you or connect with you, what's, what's the best way for them to go about doing that as well? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Uh, I'm you know, pretty responsive to cold direct messages or LinkedIn messages. Feel free to reach out. And um, I think I can also send you my email address to share with, with, the, with, the, with the episode. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'll, we'll include all that in the comments below. So Ryan and the team will make sure that they put that there. Links to the Conrad Challenge. We'll even throw up the link to Nancy's episode, which, like I said, is one of my favorites. Uh, as well as how to get in touch with Uncle. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for being on. This has been just a great conversation. I think a lot of good information, uh, you know, from the Conrad Challenge side to for the entrepreneurial side. I think we, we've covered a little bit of everything. So, you know, look forward to, to having another episode, hopefully with you in the future. And uh, I appreciate your time. And once again, I appreciate you all listening. I will see you on the next episode. For more great episodes like this, check out thestartdown.com. And for more about me, visit mikefakara.com. I will see you on the next episode. 
Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode of The Start Down. Once again, I'm your host, Mike Vaquera. Make sure you visit me at MikeVaquera.com, where you will see links to all my social media, where I'm bringing content like this every day on how you can grow your business and your personal brand. Once again, new episodes dropping every Tuesday, so make sure that you guys like, subscribe, and share the podcast so that you can keep up with what's going on. Once again, appreciate you guys tuning in. I will see you on the next episode of The Start Down.